yeah. Good morning, good morning. Uh, hope you're doing well on this uh, middle of February already. Valentine's Day is coming up, so happy Valentine's Day to all of you, uh, ladies and guys. Uh, hope you're doing uh, amazing, and I uh, hope God is doing amazing things in your life, or, or at least that we're like sitting on the edge of our seat, wanting God to do something amazing in our life. I hope that's where we're at. We're not just following the world, chasing the, the ways of the world, getting caught up or hung up in the stuff of the world, but that we are like dreaming big so that God will do something in us. That's We're hoping that God is, is going to do something amazing in our life. That's what I want. I want God to do something big in my life so that when I get to the end of my life, which isn't too far from now, I can look back and go, man, that was awesome. I can already look back and go, man, what an awesome ride it's been. But I want to, I, I still want God to do more, more in me, more as much as he can do in my life. So when I stand before the Lord, I can be like, I can be confident that I lived my life for the Lord. That's what I'm hoping for in me, dreaming big. And I want to give us one more challenge this week. And then next week, I'm going to be gone. Tim uh, from camp is going to be with us here at Burlington Christian Church Live. He's going to be preaching for me because I'm going to be gone. I'm going to post a sermon next week called Fish On. Fish On. That's the title of the sermon for next Sunday. And um, what I want, what I'd like to do is review a little bit. I'm going to be fishing with my brothers. I'm going to be out fishing with my brothers down in Florida, having a good time with them next week. That's why Fish On is the title of the sermon and what that sermon will kind of be about next week online. Let's review a little bit about dreams. Dreams, we have uh, said a lot about dreams, um, that God speaks in dreams to the godly and the ungodly. He speaks to anyone, anywhere, anytime, and no it doesn't matter who you are. God wants to give you a dream to change the course of history and the world. He can do that. He is more than capable and has done that. We remember in the book of Joel, Joel said, and then Paul, Paul in, uh, or not Paul, Peter, Peter in the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter quoted from, from Joel and he said these words, in the last days, he said, young men will have visions and old men will have dreams. And so we know that in the last times, which is what we're living in, God is still at work. God is still moving and doing incredible things. Biblical dreams typically precede a major move of God. God is going to do something big, and so he gives dreams to people. Most of the Old Testament dreams surround Israel and uh, the, what God was doing in and around them, uh, preserving them in most cases, or warning them in a lot of cases to, to know what God was, was going to do next. And he spoke those dreams to different people, not just Israel, but to the kings and to powerful people around Israel in, in an effort to then let Israel be the ones 
who knew what the king dreamed, like in Daniel's situation and, and um, Joseph's situation, that, that it was God's people who were the only ones able to interpret the dreams that God gave to the godless people in the world. And in the New Testament, we see dreams and visions surrounding the birth of Jesus, when the Gentiles are going to be led into the kingdom. We talked about Cornelius last week. And then also, um, or actually two weeks ago with Cornelius. And then also when God was going to open the door for mission, the mission effort of the early church to go to further uh, reaches of the world. We see visions and dreams happening. What I love most what I love most and what I, what I think we have caught in when we talk about dreams, because most of it we can't control, it's, it's God's decision on who gets a dream or what kind of dream he gives or what, who he chooses to, to do the green dream. What I love most, and I think we got this, is this, is that when God goes looking, looking, when God goes looking for someone to do something big, he looks for someone, and I hope you got this together with me. He is looking for someone who is doing the little things well. That he looks for someone, that we have, we're learning this, that when God goes looking for somebody to be, to be used in a big way in his kingdom or on the world, on the planet, he goes looking for somebody who's doing the little things of God really, really well and true and right. A person of godly character, a person of godly influence, a person of, of, of God's nature living in them, that they hunger and thirst for the things of God in this world, that they stay away from the, the junk of the world and they, they are engaged in the things of God and the word of God. That's who God goes looking for, right? People who are being faithful in the little things. Remember, we looked at um, Luke chapter 16 weeks ago. It was a story about a master who is going away, and he called three servants uh, to come in, and he gives them each bags of money, five, three, and one, and he um, tells them to go and put it to work, and he leaves, and, and then he comes back, and, and Jesus said this, about the, the, the men he gave bags of gold with. Remember, two of them doubled their gold and one of them buried it. And Jesus said, he who is faithful in the very little things is faithful also in the much, in the big things. And he who is unrighteous or unfaithful in a very little thing is unrighteous or unfaithful also in much, in the bigger things. And so the kingdom principle, at least in this story and throughout the scripture, is pretty simple. And that is this. Do, just do the little things of God really well. Just do life right. Do life the way God prescribed us to live. Do that and you will be in a position to be used by God in a big way. And so one last stab this week at, at seeing this truth, this principle in the scripture in hopes, my hope is that we will line ourselves up with this principle and just do little things right so that God will use us in a big way. So that we're just more and more of us are poised for God to use us in a big way on the earth.
while we still have breath right here, and that we will pattern our lives after uh, this example and these examples, like Cornelius and uh, others who were living godly lives, but especially this one today. Do the little things well. This is the principle. Two thoughts really that come together. When God goes looking and do the little things well, because God is going to go looking. He's always looking and searching. And he's looking for somebody who is doing the little things really well. That's it. That has to do with like our language, our joking, our talking, our, our, our behavior, our attitudes, our treatment of other people. It's just all those little things in life. God is looking for somebody who is doing all the little things really, really well so he can use them in a much bigger way. Genesis chapter 6. So what's happening in Genesis 6 is the earth is populating. There is a, over, a little over a thousand years, get this, between Adam and Noah. Adam and Noah. Okay, but in the Bible, they're just a few chapters away. But in time, a generational time, it's over a thousand years have gone by. So a thousand years is a pretty long time. I mean, we're not even on the planet for a hundred years, most of us. Imagine that 10 times, so or even more than that, maybe 15 times. That's a lot of generations away. A lot happened. Just think about what has happened on our planet in the last five years or the last 10 years or the last, just in the time that we've been on the planet. Buildings that have gone up, uh, construction work that's been going on, technology and all the advancements of technology. It's just incredible what has happened even in the last 10 years, 20 years, in 30 years. It's incredible how quickly things happen. So Genesis 6, the earth is populating. There's a lot of people. The daughter, the Bible says that the daughters were beautiful. Happy Valentine's Day. But the people, the people wandered away from God. And you can read this in Genesis 6. We're going to read a little bit of it right now. Here's what's going on. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is not good. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth, the human race I have created. And with them, animals and birds and creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. The condition of the world is evil. The condition of people, people's hearts is wicked. Wicked to the very core. Look what he says. He says, every inclination of the thoughts of the heart, evil all the time. Selfish, not godly, not looking to the ways of the creator of the universe, but doing their own thing, their own way, without any consideration of God. That's the condition of the world. It is not good. This is root rot. 
Like when your plant has root rot and you're not gonna get any good crop out of it, everything that grows on that thing is gonna be rotten. Like I had tomatoes last year that the, the whole plant, the plant looked pretty decent, but every tomato on the plant was rotten because in the root, it was rotten. The soil wasn't good. And so everything that came out of that crop was rotten. That's, that's the condition of the people. And this is what Jesus meant in the New Testament when he talked about like whitewashed tombs. Like on the outside, they look really pretty, but inside they are full of dead man's bones. There's just rot and death on the inside of the tomb. There is rot and there is death on the inside, the very core of the people living in that time. Corruption, evil, death, at the very, very core. And do you know what? You look around the world today and not a whole lot has changed, has it? It's gone from bad to worse. And how long, we gotta ask ourselves, how long before God says enough? Enough is enough. Like my dad used to say that. If I have to say it one more time, I'm coming up there, you're right? Enough is enough. That's what our parents say, enough is enough. Well, how long before God says enough is enough. Notice verses six and seven here. Check it out. It says, the Lord said, I regret that I have made them. I regret that I have made mankind. Look, these are, these are some of the saddest words ever written in the scripture. That the God of all creation looks at mankind, his creation, and he says, I regret that I made them. This is sad. Look, there are parents out there in the world that maybe have thought this about their own kids, but would, would never say it. And then again, there are probably parents out there in this world that are not godly parents in any way, and they probably have actually said this to their kids. I'm sorry I ever had you. How sad is that? I mean, that, that, this is demoralizing. If somebody, if your parent ever said that to you, that is like demoralizing, right? It, it, and this is, this stings, this, I regret that I made them. This stings all of mankind. This is a, a statement about all of mankind at that time. Now, some translations say the Lord was grieved that he made them, or he was sorry that he made them, or he regretted that he made them. It, it, it hurt God. What, what's happening here is that it, it, it hurt God to see that people he made in his own image had become so evil and so wicked and so rebellious. It hurt God. Look, every... Um, so here's how verse six kind of looks, okay? Verse six, when, when you look at it um, in the Hebrew, uh, the direct translation, like from Hebrew to English, I wanna show you this, what it looks like. And every uh, good student of God's word should have a number of reference books, but two reference books that everyone should have is number one, a harmony of the gospel. I gave some away not long ago. I will give some more, I'll buy some more, and give them away. If you want one, you just need to let me know. A harmony of the gospel, where you can look at all of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all at the same page, 
and you can kind of blend them together and, and get a full picture of the whole story right there on one page. It's an awesome book to have. Great, 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 great reference. The second is the interlinear uh, version of the Bible, of the Greek and the Hebrew, where it takes the actual uh, terminology in the Greek and it turns it right into English, or it takes the Hebrew uh, language and the words used in Hebrew and it just converts it directly into English. Great, it's missing uh, key words sometimes, it's missing adjectives and uh, pronouns, but it's, and it's real choppy to read, but it is, you know, you get a really good feel for the, how the language translates. So verse six says this, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply, look at it, deeply troubled. Now the Hebrew interlinear says this, and you, start, you read it from right to left, not left to right. So it says, and was sorry, Yahweh, that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. That's how the Hebrew translates directly into the English. And so you can see our English version is, is so accurate. It's so good as far as taking what was actually like given to us in the Hebrew language and turned directly into the English language. Some translations say, and it, rep it repented the Lord. It repented the Lord. Think about that. And it repented the Lord that he had made human beings on the earth. Think about those words. It repented the Lord. The word repent means to turn. Like when Jesus says repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or John came preaching repentance. Repent means to change. It means to do a 180. It means this is how I'm living and it's selfish, and it's, it's greedy, and it's evil, and it's not the way God wants me to live my life and walk. And when we repent, we stop, we turn, and we walk toward God. We start living God's way. We start thinking God's way. We start behaving God's way. That's repenting, to repent, to turn. And so what it's saying here is God did an about-face this is kind of really cool. And, it, and all of this is kind of leading up to and setting the stage for our example of when God goes looking, who he's looking for. This is the condition of the world that Noah is living in. It was so evil and so bad that the Lord did an about face. He couldn't even like, he couldn't even bring himself to be a part of this any longer. Like, have you ever been a part of something? You're like, it gets so wrong. It goes so the wrong way that you're like, that's it, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, there may be like, and I hope, I hope we're all getting closer to this moment. Some of you may have already gotten to it where you're watching stuff on TV, like even sports now. Everything is so like woke. Everything that we're watching on TV, there's so much crap, so much junk being included in commercials and TV shows and sports and an agenda that is being shoved down our throats. At some point, you say, that's it, I'm done. I'm not watching this no more. I'm not watching that show. I'm not watching that station. I'm not turning on the TV. It's just a bunch of junk. And we turn away from it. This is what God is doing. He's turned away from mankind. It repented the Lord 
that he had made human beings on the earth and what they were doing. Not them as people, but their behavior he could not handle any longer. Now, this goes deep. This goes deep because, look, here's the, here's the thing. God is holy. The Lord is holy. He is a holy God. And sin cannot coexist in the presence of God. It just can't do that. God does not allow sin in. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He's, he's pure, 100%. Sin cannot come into the presence of God. It's, it's exactly why you and I must be cleansed of our sin. It's sin that separates us from God. We can't go to heaven because of our sin. And that's why Jesus came so that we could be washed washed in his sacrifice in the blood of Christ, washed of our sins, made holy and righteous again so that we could come into the presence of God on, on Jesus's merits, not on ours. We're unholy. We are sinful. We're wicked to the core like they were. Only Jesus can cleanse us of that sin. In order for us to be able to come back into the presence of God, in order for us to have eternal life, in order for us to have eternal hope, and in, in order for us to, to have the hope of heaven. It's also why, get this, it's go, it goes a little deeper, it's also why when Jesus hung on the cross, he said those very painful words. Do you remember them? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God. He's crying out to his father on the cross. And he says, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus took the sins of the world on himself. And now covered in our sins, in that moment, the father turned his face on his son. Like for the first time ever in all of eternity, the son was separated from his father. Sin grieves the father. Sin brings pain and separation to the son. Sin causes God to have to turn his back on it because he is holy. God is holy. And it's why in Genesis 6, it says, I regret that I have made them, or it repented the Lord that he made them. Not at all that God blew it, but in loving you and me and all of mankind so much, we blew it. We are the ones who have messed up. We are the ones who have chosen to go our own way and do things our own way like we still do. We have chosen to walk away from God and God is grieved that we did and we have left him no choice. We have put God in a position where he has got to turn his back on sin because he is a holy God. He is a pure God. He is a righteous God. See, this, this is ultimate love. Think about this. This is ultimate love. This is free will. We're talking about free will here. The gift of choice. The gift to choose. That's love. If you don't give somebody a choice, then you're making them do something. 
but by giving a choice, you are loving them to the most extreme degree. Free will, choice, but every choice, every gift of choice also comes with consequences. There are consequences attached to the gift of choice that God has given to you and me. And so what we're talking about is free will. Here's the thing. If there is no free will, like some argue, Calvinism argues that there's no free will. You're just predestined. You're predetermined. God has already chosen who's in and who's out. You don't even have a say in it. If you were a Christian and you fell away, then you never had Christ to begin with. And in a room of 100 people, 20 of them are going to heaven. 80 of them are going to hell. God has already chosen who's going, who's not. You don't even have a say. That's, that's not free will. And that's what many churches and doctrines believe and teach. So if there's no free will, then God would not be grieved. God would not be grieved. Why would God be grieved? Because he himself would be the one responsible for the result if he predetermined it. Why would he predetermine disaster? Like, it doesn't make any sense that he would create us to honor him and then plan for us or even cause us to dishonor him. That doesn't make any sense at all. Like sabotaging his own creation, like planning it all just to fall apart, to fail. Why would God do that? That is absurd. It doesn't fall in line with the character or the person of God at all. What does make perfect sense and is directly in line with the character of God is this. God creates us to obey him, but he loves us so much and enough to let us choose free will. That's how much he loves you. He gives you the choice, free will, to choose him or not to choose him, taking the risk that in perfect free will, some might not choose him. This is 100% pure love. This is the God we serve. This is the God of the Bible. And it turns out, in Noah's time, we didn't choose God. We chose to go do it our way, right? We chose to go do it our way, and oftentimes we still do this. We continue to just go do it our way. Just look around the world. Just look at the news. Watch what's happening. Look at the hate. Look at the discord. Look at the, 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 the division. Look at the attack on, on God's people and on holiness and on what's right and true and good. The devil is having a heyday attacking everything that God has foundationally put in place. The good news of the gospel is this. God did not give up on us. Even though he looked at the world in Noah's time and all it was was wickedness, he did not give up on us. We got a do-over. He's going to wipe it out, but he's going to save a remnant. And with that remnant, he's going to do it over. He's going to give us, as mankind and all the human race, he's going to give us a mulligan. We're going to get to try again. That is a beautiful thing. So in Genesis 6, God goes looking. God goes looking. And I believe 
God is still looking. I believe that as God looks down on the earth and he sees all the wickedness and the evil on the world, he is still looking for somebody that he can use in a big way. And in verse 8, it says this, and I hope this is true about you, and I hope this is true about me, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that, those are beautiful words. Those are beautiful words. Do you, do you hear those words? But, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor. He found grace with God. This is kind of a, a double-edged thought. This has as much to do with the grace that God had for Noah as it does the passion that Noah had for God. God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's, it's this idea that God loves us so much and that when we love him as much as we possibly can, something beautiful can happen. You see, the eyes of the Lord go searching the earth. And they don't zoom in in their day on Ricky or Doug or Karen or Leonard or Billy Bob. The eyes of God land on this guy named Noah. Because Noah is the man. That's why. Because Noah is the man. Noah is where we need to be. Noah is living in like the sweet spot poised to do something big for God. That's where Noah is. What is Noah doing well? In the land of the wicked that gets the attention of God? Well, let's take a look at it. Verse nine. Noah, this is beautiful. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. They did it. And so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy, destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark out of cypress wood. And then God gives Noah the details of the ark, the dimensions and stuff. So God's about, he's about to lower the boom, the wickedness, the evil, he's turned his back. He's about to lower the boom on the planet. He's going to save this remnant of people to continue the human race. That's the grace of God for all of mankind. He goes searching for someone, someone who is doing the little things of God really well. Because God has this massive work to do. Think about this. He's gonna, he chooses Noah to save the human race. This is big. It's huge. And he needs someone godly. He's looking for a godly person to make this happen. Man, like this could be you and me. This could be us. We could be living our lives in such a way that when God makes a decision that he's going to do something huge, 
we're right there. Like we're there. We're the ones at the top of his list. I'm going to go have this person do this job for me because in their free will, they have chosen to live their lives for the Lord. God didn't make me live my life for the Lord. I am choosing to live my life for the Lord and I'm putting myself in place for God to use me in a big way. This is Noah. There's Noah, right? And what is Noah doing? Well, the scripture gives us three God habits of Noah. If we will get these right in our life, let's get these three things right in our life and then watch God do something amazing in your life, okay? This is not a formula. This is simply a fact of a lifestyle. This is not religion. This is a relationship that God is looking for. It's a two-way relationship that God wants to have with us. And we have to be living a certain way in order for us to stay in that relationship with God. If we turn away from God, we walk away from the relationship. It's a covenant relationship between God and you. Between me and the Lord. And me and him only. No one else can intercede on this relationship. Only me and God. And God meaning Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All of who God is. Right? He keeps his faithful end of the deal and he's looking for anyone else who will keep theirs like keep it and keep it right it's a marriage of marriages when we say happy valentine's day the first valentine's day we think about should think about is the relationship the love relationship that god has for you and me that's the first one. Keep that one in place and everything else will fit into place perfectly. Well, here's what's going on with Noah. Check it out. Noah is a righteous man. Just three quick things. He's a righteous man. Say the word righteous. Righteous. He is a righteous man. He is a just man. It means he's just. He's living right. He's living righteous. He is living. This has everything to do with living God's way. He's righteous in that he's doing it God's way. He is living God's truth, God's way. According to what? Think about this, Noah. According to the law of Moses? No, not yet. Moses isn't even come yet. According to the prophets? No. According to the apostles? No, definitely not. He is living righteous according to the original instructions that God gave to Adam and pass, was passed down through generation. Now, this is over a thousand years ago that Adam was born. And all we have up into this point is this passed on instructions of God through generations. And Noah is living according to God's truths, God's way. He's living true. He's living true to what he did have and to what he did know. And we know he is because God says he is. And if God says he is, then he is. See, Noah is living true. Now, you and I, you and I, we have so much more. Noah was limited in what he had. But you and I, we've got it all. We've got the law of Moses. We've got the prophets. We've got all of the Old Testament. We've got Jesus. We've got the apostles. We've got all of the New Testament. We've got everything that there is in place. To live right with God. We are without excuse as we live on this earth. Look, Noah was a righteous man. He lived righteous and so 
can you and I. So can we. So can we. You want to be in a position where when God goes searching, he sees you? Live right. Live according to God's truths and God's way. End of story. Secondly, number two, check it out. Look what it says. He is blameless among the people of his time. Righteous, he's right with God. Blameless, he is living right with the people of the planet. He is treating God the way God should be treated. He is treating the world the way the world should be treated. He is blameless. He is resisting the corruption of the world. He's not letting the stink of the world get on him. He's not letting the wickedness or the evil of the world get on him. He's not participating in the evils of the world. He is living a blameless life among the generation, among the people. Some translations say he is perfect in his generation. Among all the people of the planet, Noah stands head and shoulders above the rest. When it comes to godliness, when it comes to, to living his life for the Lord, he is blameless. No one can find a fault about him. They can't accuse him of anything because he's doing things right. He knows the truth of God and he's living that way and he's treating the world around him the same way. Noah, we know, is a human being. He's not a perfect person, but he's, he's striving to live perfectly for God. We know he has flaws. They show up later. But he lived his life to glorify God among the people of the world. 2 Peter chapter 2 says, he, If God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, these people we're talking about, but he preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness among the eight. The eight that he saved, right? His sons, their wives, himself, and his wife, eight people in all were saved in the ark with all the animals. But it said in, Hebrew, in Peter, Noah is a preacher of righteousness among the people. He not only lived a blameless life, but he tried to help other people live a blameless life. Noah lived blameless. He lived right with God and he lived blameless among the generations. And so can you and I. And the third thing, real simply, is this. Noah walked faithfully with God. He followed God closely. Just think of those three things. That's it. Right with God, doing it God's way. Blameless with the people around him. Living God's way on the earth among people. And he's following God as closely as he can. He is walking with the Lord. He is attentive to God things, not the world things. He's attentive to God. He is in the present mo moment attentive to God, and he is looking for the future walking with God. He is ready to do something big for God. God has this big dream to build this ark and save the planet, and there's Noah dreaming right there with God. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful place to be. The literal translation or the literal standard version of the Bible says it like this. Get this. This is awesome. Noah habitually walked with God. Isn't that cool? Noah habitually walked with God. Noah had an addiction. And his addiction was God. And, and let me tell you this. 
That is the only addiction any of us need. When you are walking with God, you are experiencing the greatest high you will ever experience. And you're killing no brain cells to do it. When you start drinking, you start smoking, you start doing other stuff, you start killing yourself. Your liver, your mind, your heart, your body, you start deteriorating yourself rapidly. But you get high on God, you get addicted to God, and that will be the greatest high that you will ever have. Noah had a God addiction. Note who gets saved in the flood. It's Noah and his family, eight in all, eight in all, right? His family and their wives. God spoke and Noah followed. It's that simple. Noah knew what God said and Noah just did it. He just did what God said. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, the, the flood that was coming, he didn't see it. He didn't know what a flood looked like. In holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. You see that? In holy fear, he built, he built the ark. In holy fear, walking with God. Noah is being a lot like Cornelius that we talked about a week or two ago, leading his family to the Lord, living according to Joshua's big statement back in the Old Testament, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Good, godly habits in his life, which puts him in a perfect place to do something big for God. That's a beautiful place to be. When God goes looking. Look, when God goes looking, that's a beautiful thing. When God goes looking, because he has a big task to accomplish, and his eyes go searching to and fro for someone to do this mighty work of God. He is not looking for a rich, successful person. He is not necessarily looking for a popular person. He's looking for a faithful soul. He's looking for a faithful soul. Someone who is doing the little things of God really well. Sorry, should be a water. Really, really well. That's what, that's what he's looking for. Someone who is doing the little things well. Go, go and dream big. When God goes looking, he's looking for somebody doing the little things really well. You want, your, you want to dream with God? You want to do something big for God? You want, to, you want to leave an impression and a mark on this world like none other? Then dream with God. Father, help us to, to just set our mind on you. Help us, Father, to fix our heart on things above, not on the world. Help us not to fall into the wickedness and the evils of the world where every inclination of our heart is evil. Father, forgive us of this. Help us to get our eyes on you. Thank you for Noah and his example. God, help us to live right with you. Help us to be blameless among people. That we're doing things your way. And help us, Father, to follow you so very closely in the present moment and in the days to come. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great, great week. Love you guys. Have a good one.